First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, if you'll turn there. First Peter 3, 1. Uh, for several weeks now, we have been following along the flow of thought with the Apostle Peter. Uh, really for several months, but for several weeks, we've been focusing on this section about honorable conduct. But let me back you up and get us ready. Peter has talked about the grace and the mercy of God in our lives by which we are born again to a living hope. So he's saying every individual in Christ is born again, spiritually alive, has a sure hope, forgiven of our sins, reconciled to God in the future with him. Peter then turned a little bit of a corner and started talking about collectively. That was the individual part. The collective part is we. We as the church, we as God's people are his people in this world proclaiming his excellencies so that others may see and hear and believe in God's grace. It may spread to other people and his kingdom may expand. This is, this is 1 Peter. We're following his thought process. And then he calls us sojourners, sojourners, belonging to another kingdom, governed by Christ himself and the ways and the wisdom of God, but living right here in this world like everybody else, living in a country with a government, in a workplace, today in a marriage, but all the while remaining loyal to Christ. That's a sojourner in this world. Peter's saying that as born again, the church of Christ, sojourners in the world, our conduct matters. We turned the corner in chapter 2, verse 12, where he said, let your conduct among the unbelievers or the Gentiles be such that they will see your good works. God will visit them with his grace. It's not conduct that makes us right with God. It's conduct that honors God who has made us right with himself. We've already talked about honorable conduct toward government and toward the workplace. Today, we talk about honorable conduct in marriage. Stand with me, if you will, in honor of God's word. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman who is the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. So I want to take this in three parts today. I'm going to make some general comments that really are connected to this passage, but they're also connected to our culture. 
And then the second part, we'll look at the specific instructions about wives. And the third part, the specific instructions about husbands. There are three of them for each. But I want to make some general comments first about Christians, about the Christian faith, and about the Christian faith in our world and in our, in our culture. Why start here? Why? Because the Christian, in the, the, there are aspects of the Christian faith that are foundations to the teaching on marriage. There's something before marriage. We jumped right into marriage today, but there's a lot way before marriage. It's all the way back to the beginning of time. And the foundations that are before marriage are not generally shared in our world. And many Christians are even questioning the foundations before you ever get to these specific instructions, whether it be about government or the workplace or about marriage. Previously in our culture, a pastor could just jump right in to a passage on wives and husbands and assume that everyone was on the same page. Assume that everyone was on the same page about marriage and about authority, like who even gets to talk about marriage and where do we get our instructions from about marriage. But that's not the case today. Not only is there a, a rejection of these things broadly in the world, but there's a growing doubt about these things even among Christians. So I want to start with a long introduction, preliminary words, getting us to the text about marriage, but it's related. I wanna talk about the culture, and then I wanna talk about marriage, and then I wanna talk about authority. Where do we get our instructions for this? First of all, our cultural influence. Christians have an impact on the world, or at least should. And honorable conduct is the key to Christian influence in the world. Honorable conduct is the key to Christian influence in the world. We read it in chapter 2, verse 12, which is a foundational verse for everything that follows. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that's the unbelievers, honorable, so that when they speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Honorable conduct is key to the Christian influence in the world. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Again, these are not good works that get us to become Christians. They are the good works that flow from the life of a Christian who's been saved by grace. They honor God and they are a testimony to our culture. We've been saying this now for weeks in 1 Peter. Now words, arguments, reasonings, are all necessary and very good. We're going to see in chapter 3, in verse 15, that Peter says you should, you should be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet with respect and gentleness. So yes, words are very important and there are many people who are very gifted and have great opportunity to argue in the public square about Christian truth. Conduct, behavior, the way we live in the world must not be overlooked or downplayed. It is the calling of all Christians, all sojourners, as Peter calls us, are to live honorably, doing what is honorable to God. It would be wrong for us to believe that we can speak the truth without living it. It would be wrong for us to believe that we can speak the truth in a way that actually dishonors and undermines it and, ex and still expect a hearing. 
But it would be equally wrong if we water down the conduct that honors God and downplay what God has revealed in the Bible about how humans are to live in order to get a hearing. God's commands, God's principles, God's ways are not only to guide us as Christians, they are meant actually to expose us, to expose unbelieving people, to convict and to lead to repentance and faith. We have a brother here in our church, a man here in our congregation at Grace, who became a Christian when he heard the message at a wedding. The instructions we're talking about today were spoken at the wedding and he was convicted and he turned to Christ. Now imagine if he had heard at that wedding what the Bible says about marriage followed up by, well, that was only for the first century cultural context. Or that was simply Peter and Paul's perspective. Or that's oppressive and demeaning. What would our brother have to repent of? But God used the message, even the one we're reading today, to expose the heart, bring to repentance and faith. May he do so today. We influence a culture and people toward Christ by saying and by living what is honorable to God. And then pointing to the grace of God that is received by faith when we know we fail to live up to this. Culture, our influencing culture, our conduct, honoring to God is key. Second thing I want to say by way of introduction is on marriage. In general, before we get to the, to the instructions, marriage is honorable. And there is an honorable way to be married. It applies to husbands and to wives. It also applies uniquely to a husband and uniquely to a wife. We have to be very, very discerning, brothers and sisters. We have to listen for the messages and for the narratives about marriage and for marriage that actually at the end of the day take away from the honor of marriage. Marriage is necessary for two people, a man and a woman, to share in what belongs in marriage. What belongs in marriage? Exclusive, sexual, procreative, family-forming relationship. That belongs in marriage, and so marriage is necessary for that. A publicly stated, personally committed marriage. Other arrangements are not the honorable way that Christ has called us to. Marriage is the way children are brought into the world, procreation. It's the way they're raised. Societies that accept this practice are more stable than societies that don't. The point is not that every Christian should get married or that every marriage produces children. The point is that marriage, husbands and wives, families are honorable and, they are, and that there is a specifically honorable way to live married. Do we fail at this? Well, of course we do. We're repenting every day, or at least we should be. But His grace is sufficient. His grace covers our failings and our sins and gets us back on track. And our failings do not make invalid His wisdom. 
I hear this a lot. I hear it a lot. Look at the failure of marriage. You see, marriage doesn't work. No. It is necessary. Yes, there are failings. His grace is sufficient to cover those. And we move right back into God's ways. So we've talked about our influence of culture, the necessity of marriage. The third introductory comment is on God's word, or I'll put it this way, authority. Who has the authority to talk about this? Where is the source of authority that we turn to address this? Christians understand and have convictions and participate in marriage and really all things in this world in which we are sojourning by the truth of God's word. The truth of God's word revealed in the Bible, it is, it's eternal. God's truth is eternal. From the beginning of time, before time, now all through time. God's word is eternal. God's word is external. What do I mean by that? It means it's not in our hearts naturally. It's external to us. It's something outside of us. God's word is revealed he gave it to his prophets and apostles to be written down so that you and I can read it. God's word is universal. It applies to all people at all times. This is our source. This is our authority. This is why we call it a whole world view. It also means it's not internal. Our authority is not internal. Our authority is not our internal sense of things. How many times have I said or you said or we thought or heard someone say, it just seems to me. Our authority is not a sense of things. Our authority is not a cultural consensus of things, which is really just a collective internal sense. Our authority is God's word revealed in Scripture. Building on Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 1, everything goes back to Genesis, doesn't it? Genesis 1 and 2, creation, male, female, marriage, roles in marriage. Numerous places Jesus affirmed Genesis 1 and 2. The apostles affirmed, expanded, and applied these things. This is where we get our instructions. This is the authority for everything we're talking about. Government, work, sexuality, marriage, everything. We're not embarrassed by this. We actually believe as Christians we actually believe that there is an authority governing our lives that is external to us and has been handed down to us from God. We believe this with no embarrassment. In fact, if there is any embarrassment, it should be from the fruit of the wisdom of man because it's chaos. We, we don't try to Christianize other positions by believing that what God has revealed is just hopeless. I think this is happening in Christians all the time. We say it's just hopeless. There's no, there's no, nobody's going to listen to God's word. It's hopeless. So what do we do? We find alternatives and then do our best to make them look like they're Christian. We don't do that. We have an authority. It's God's word. We live in submission to it. This whole section of 1 Peter is about submission. There's submission, one after another. Every Christian is submissive to Christ. Every Christian must be submissive to become a Christian because you have to repent of your sin and receive a grace that is earned for you, not something you've done for yourself. 
And every Christian is to live submissive to the revealed word of God in every area of life. Now, I raised these points here today at the beginning because I realized over the past several, I was going to say decades. I said, I thought decades earlier and I thought, no, no, no. Something's happened in the past few years. Something is happening over the past few years that even within the church, we have come, some have come to question, to have doubts and to be very confused about some basic things like what we've just talked about. How do we influence the culture? What, are, what is it that we actually communicate about marriage and sexuality? And what is our source of authority? Can we really trust the Bible? Some will say this is a post-Christian culture. You don't use the Bible in a post-Christian culture. To which I would say, you know, everything's circular, isn't it? So how about let's say we've posted out and now we're pre. It's a pre-Christian culture. And what did the first century apostles bring to a pre-Christian culture? The Word of God. We hold to this, brothers and sisters. So Peter's instructions about wives and husbands assume these three things. That honorable conduct among Christians is the key to influence in the world. He said it in chapter 2. That marriage is honorable. He's saying it right here. There are instructions. And that the source of all of this is from God in the word second point into the text first he addresses wives again this is verses one through six again the foundation of these words to wives and to husbands is genesis one and two the creation of man woman husband wife marriage it makes it a whole world view to the wives he says Likewise, verse 1, meaning we're continuing on the theme of honorable conduct among the Gentiles and submission. He says, wives, there are women who are married. I must do another parenthesis here because I do understand thinking and what's happening. There is an objection to what I am doing right now. I am a male, a pastor. I'm preaching and I'm teaching things related to wives and women. And there is a way of thinking that says only voices from within a particular group of people should speak to that group of people. That reflects the spirit of the age. Because Peter is a man. And Peter was commissioned to be an apostle by Jesus Christ, who was a man and single. And Jesus gave Peter and the Pharisees and everybody else who was listening to the Sermon on the Mount instructions about marriage that he based on Genesis 1 and 2. So whether it is a man or a woman talking about what Peter, the apostle, commissioned by Jesus, gave us in 1 Peter chapter 3, the point is it's true. And so we take it as it is and lay it before us. Three words he gives to wives. Number one, he says, verse 1, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, to be submissive means to yield 
to his leadership, to yield to his service, to yield to his authority because he has a responsibility for which he will be held accountable. We'll come back to that when we talk about the men, but just to repeat it, be submissive because he has a responsibility for which he will be held accountable. Why would Peter be talking about this in this particular context of the first century? Primarily because it's relevant for every century. But also because it is a part of the honorable conduct that he's calling Christians to in the world so they can see the goodness and the wisdom of God. Also because some of these wives may be thinking, going back to chapter 2 verse 16 where he says, Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. It could be that some of the Christian wives were thinking, oh, I'm free in Christ. I'm no longer to be submissive to my my husband. Also, it could be that some of these wives, not could be, it is the fact, because he tells us in the next part of the verse, that some of these wives are married to unbelievers. Now, when I call their husbands pagans, I don't mean necessarily that they're mean. I just mean They're Greek, and they worshiped in the context of the Greek gods. That made them pagans. But now they're Christians, these wives are, some of them. And they need to know, what am I to do? Commentators tell us, historians tell us that wives were actually expected to take on the religion of their husband. Well, the husbands here are unbelievers. They're pagans. They worship Greek Greek gods. The women have come to Christ. They can't go back on Christ. What are they to do? Remain submissive to their husbands. Loyal to Christ, submissive to their husbands. That would be the context of the day. Moving on with his instructions, still on number one, be submissive to your own husbands. He says, be submissive to your own husbands, which means not to somebody else's husband, which also means not to men in general. There is a fallacy, an error that people say. They say women are submissive to men. That's not a true statement. Wives are submissive to to their husbands. There's something unique about the relationship, the marriage relationship. It's the marriage relationship that represents Christ and his church, Ephesians 5. Well, what is a deeper look at this submission? He's saying be respectful. Have pure conduct. It's a spirit that reflects an understanding. Submission is a spirit that reflects an understanding. The understanding for the wife in this context would be She belongs to God. She trusts God. She entrusts herself to God. She understands God's ways for her and for her husband. And therefore, she will support her husband in his responsibility. She will do it with all wisdom, prayer, and grace. That's what submission looks like in the marriage relationship. But there's a submission that comes first. The first submission is submission to the ways of God. This is for husband and wife. This is for every Christian. This first submission is submission to the ways of God in marriage. A husband and a wife together, forming a whole, each contributing, the husband responsible, with the lead role for the holiness and health of this marriage. 
and the wife responsible to support that lead in submission to her husband. Jesus was submissive to his parents. Before that, the son was submissive to the father to become a man. And then when he did, Jesus was submissive to his parents. The church is submissive to Christ. Wives are being called to be submissive to their husbands. Submission is a part of the Christian life. Why is he calling them to submission here? Because God designed it this way. Because it reflects Christ in his church. Because there's a practical peace that comes from marriages that listen to what God says, both for the husband and the wife, and because it witnesses to the world. Now, we've been saying as we've walked along here with government, the workplace, now marriage, we've been saying, what if? What about? What about when a husband might want his wife to do something that violates God's will, that would be considered sin? We've said, and we'll say again, no human authority is absolute. And men, women, everybody, and regardless of the, of the context and the circumstance of life, are to obey God. And so, if submission to a husband would mean disobedience to God and sin, then the, then the wife is to obey God, not be submissive to the husband. What about when submission means living under abuse? We've said it here and we'll say it again. This is not a calling to subject this is not a calling for a woman to subject herself to the abuse of a husband. If there's abuse going on, get out, separate, get safe, get help, and get the authorities involved. What about if my husband is not a Christian? That one Peter addresses directly in verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Not obeying the word refers to not being a Christian. Unbelieving husbands, disobedient to the faith of Christianity, may be won to Christ as they see their good conduct, the conduct of their wives, submitting to Christ first and because of Christ to them. It's an instruction that, God sa- that Christ says here, wives submit to your husbands. The second thing he says to the wives, verses 3 and 4, pursue godly beauty since submission is a heart issue and that's what it is primarily it's there's maybe behavior involved there is behavior involved but it flows from the heart he's saying give priority to the heart where beauty resides verse 3 do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear now we must quickly say that he is not forbidding these things. Because if he's forbidding the braiding of hair and the wearing of jewelry, he's also forbidding the wearing of clothes. I don't think he would do that. (laughs) The adorning means what you use and depend on to make yourself beautiful. He says don't depend on the externals to be your true beauty. There are externals. You can fix your hair. You can put on jewelry. You certainly need to wear clothes. But don't depend on the externals to be your beauty. Now, this applies to all women and all men. He's applying it here to wives. So if you're not going to do that, verse 4, he says, still talking about beauty, let your adorning, let your beautifying be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious, which in God's sight is very precious. Adorn yourself, make yourself beautiful with gentleness and a quiet spirit in the hidden person of the heart. A heart that is trusting, a heart that is entrusting itself to God can then, is then submissive and then, in, then is gentle and quiet, not demanding, not complaining, not competing, not arguing with God or with others or with a husband. This is beauty, he says. I will go on to say, this will also be ridiculed. It just will be. Wives, women, husbands and men. If we talk about the hidden person of the heart and submissiveness to God, it will not only be beautiful, it will be ridiculed. But it is absolutely precious in the sight of God. And that is what matters. Note, this is not personality determined. A person, a woman can have a quiet personality on the outside, be outwardly quiet with an inner rage. And a woman can have a very outgoing personality, initiating a strong personality, we call it, and can be gentle and quiet before God in the heart. It's not personality driven. It's sanctification regardless of the personality. So that's the second thing he says. The third thing he says is follow holy examples. Verses five and six. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed God, calling him Lord. You are her children if you do what is good. Do not fear anything that is frightening. I I want to say something here. It's a pastoral note to you, and I want to say it with all respect, as much respect and gentleness as Peter said to do in chapter 3, verse 15. I want to be as respectful and gentle as I can. I have no reason to put anybody down. My only concern is for you. My only concern is for you, congregation, meaning women, wives, men, husbands, young people, My only concern is for Christians, and it's this. Stop following examples for how to live that are not holy. He said in verse 5 and 6, you're to follow holy examples. Stop following examples for how to live that are not holy. If they are not grounded in God, if they are not honoring to God's word, if they're not loyal to Christ, even if it sounds like it's sane on the front end, be careful because it will eventually lead you astray. We are to follow holy examples. We do not need current contemporary models for living the Christian life. They are untested. We need old, tried, true examples of holiness, and they'll probably be dead. 
We have the Spirit, the Word, and the church. And we can figure this out. He is calling the women, the wives, to follow holy examples. Here, he uses Sarah as one of them, along with the others who hoped in God. What did they do, verses 5 and 6? What's a holy example to follow, to pattern your life after? Someone who hopes in God, verses 5 and 6, hopes in God. Someone who has the beauty of the heart. Someone who follows the instructions of the Lord specifically here submits to their husbands. He says, follow her and you will be her children. Do the good that she did and you don't have to be afraid. You are precious to God. God will care for you. So wives, three things he says. Be submissive, pursue the beauty of the heart, and follow the right examples. We've been mentioning wives. I'll say this, this goes to a single woman, and the general principles are, apply to us all, and it is this. Look for the submission to God's word, to God and his, his word, and to Christ that lies behind the specific instructions to wives, and we all have something to apply from this. Third point for the day is husbands. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, so, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, likewise, he's continuing with this theme of honorable conduct. He says, husbands. Now he's addressing here believing husbands. When he addressed the wives, he addressed all of them believing wives. He says, but some of you might have unbelieving husbands. Here he addresses only the believing husbands. And it's understandable that he would do this because he has just told the wives to be submissive to their husbands. It's understandable that he would now tell the husbands how it is they are to use their authority to carry out their responsibility for good and for honor, not for self and for harm. If he says to the wife, submit to your husband, then he says to the husband, you've got a responsibility with authority, he's going to now have to tell the husbands, this is how you should use your authority. Authority is only for responsibility. It is never for self. Authority is only for the carrying out of your God-given responsibility. It is never for self. The responsibility that husbands have is to nurture, cherish, Ephesians 5, provide, protect, move toward Christ. And there's a lot of death in the process. Ephesians 5. The authority, the leadership that a husband has is for that and that only. The good of the family. Three exhortations he gives to husbands in verse 7. First, live with your wives in an understanding way. He said, 
Wives, submit to your own husbands. I emphasized own, your own husbands. Now he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. I'll emphasize the word your. Live with your wives, the one you have, not the one you don't have. Even in your head. Live with them in an understanding way, according to knowledge. Husbands, do you understand? Do you have knowledge? That's what it means. According to knowledge, husbands are to know God. We're to know God's grace. We're to know God's ways. We're to know God's wisdom. We're to know these things. We have to be prepared for this. We have to know our calling in marriage. Husbands, do you know you have a responsibility to lead and to serve for good? Do you know this is your calling? If you don't know this, you won't do it. Do you know your responsibility? Husbands, do you know that you are accountable to God? I mean, this is serious. Do you understand, husbands, that God has called you and you will be held accountable? Live with your wives according to knowledge of your wife. Do you know God? Do you know your calling in marriage? Do you know your wife? Do you know spiritually that your wife is a fellow heir of the grace of life with you? That means you're, you're to share fellowship with your wife. Do you know your wife personally? Do you know her personality? Do you know how she thinks and how she feels? How she hears and how she processes? Do you know what she needs? Do you know what will help her? Do you know what she doesn't need? Do you know what's unhelpful to her? No, he says. Do you know? Do you know and understand and honor her as the weaker vessel? Do you know that she's the weaker vessel? What does that mean? Well, it means in general, it's not complicated. It means in general that she has a physical nature that is not as strong as, that women have a physical nature that is not as strong as men's and it puts them in a vulnerable position. It's just the reality of history. It shouldn't even shock us. Do, you not, do we understand that 90%, 90% of domestic violence is committed by men against women due to physical dominance and the fear that that instills? It's, it's not, you know... What is it? He's putting us down. It's just a, it's a, it's a historical reality, a physical reality. There are not domestic violence laws because women are harming men. It's because men are harming women. Men, do you understand this? And the nature of that and what that calls you to. Colossians puts it, puts it this way, Colossians 3. He says, don't be harsh. There he's talking more of the emotional abuse sense. Don't do that, he says. Husbands, there's the, here's the exhortation, the first one. Husbands, think, understand, have knowledge of these things. 
for the purpose of submitting your authority to God, to God's will, for His purposes, to do good for your wife and for your family and for yourself. If you don't, if you don't do this, if you don't understand this and you don't submit this way to God, then you will do harm to your wife, you will do harm to yourself, you will do by neglect or by dominance, and God will judge you. He will. He will. He will judge. Now, if you failed, there's one word for that. Repent. Repent. Turn back to God. There will be grace to forgive you and cleanse you. And then bring forth fruit in keeping with your repentance, which means change. That's the first thing to husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Second, show her honor. He says, show the woman honor. And the reason he used the word the woman here is because the next phrase about the weaker vessel that we just explained applies generally to the physical differences. But he means honor your wife. Respect her. Don't look at her to decide if she needs to be respected. She does. She should be. Respect her. Respect her role as a wife and as a mother. Prioritize her. That's honoring. Prioritize. Don't neglect time, attention, energy, conversation, care. Affirm her. Say thank you for being a godly woman, for being a supportive wife. Honor her, show honor to her by fulfilling your own calling to be the husband that God has called you to be. We've explained as the weaker vessel, just following along verse 7 there in the the phrases, we've explained as the weaker vessel, use your authority to serve, not to overpower or to dominate or to force or in any way abuse. Since, the next phrase, since she is an heir of the grace of life with you. In other words, She's a Christian. She's a Christian. Fully and equally so. I think it was just yesterday I read that in the second century, in the second century, Christians were thought of as really strange, even more than strange, because husbands and wives would call each other brother and sister in Christ. If they missed the word in Christ, they were calling brothers and sisters, and people thought this is, this is almost incestual. This is strange. What are we doing? And the Christians would have to explain, well, yes, we're married husbands and wives, but we have a spiritual, we have a spiritual connection that makes us actually brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what Peter's saying here, since she is an heir of the grace of life with you. You see, it's, it's perfectly consistent and right to say with Galatians 3, Galatians 3, in Christ there is no distinction between male and female. In salvation there is no distinction, Galatians 3. And in marriage there is a distinction of husbands and wife. Ephesians 5, 1 Peter 3, both are true. One doesn't cancel out the other. We're to honor them our wives as Christians. Grow with your wife. Talk about Christ. Don't be intimidated. Share your faith. People have said, I guess there are studies about this, or, but people have said it. <laughs> Wherever that came from, people have said it. That women are often more comfortable talking about their faith 
that, in, that relationally there's just, a, there's just less awkwardness and they're more open and that sort of thing? Well, if that's true, okay, but don't let it be. Husbands, live with your wives. Show honor them as fellow heirs of the grace of life, which means grow as a Christian with them. And then third, keep your prayers unhindered. Live in an understanding way, show honor, and keep your prayers unhindered. This is the last part, and it's really interesting. He says, so that, do all this, live in an understanding way, show honor, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, that's really interesting. Hindered prayers would mean that the Lord is disciplining a husband if he doesn't honor his wife. The Lord is disciplining a husband if he doesn't honor his wife by hindered prayers. Honoring your wife, being a husband, leading, serving, requires grace. It's going to require a lot of grace for both husbands and wives to do what Peter has said here. It's going to require a lot of grace. And grace comes through prayer. And prayer is effective when we're honoring our wives. It feels circular, doesn't it? Honoring requires grace, the grace of prayer, and prayers are heard when there's honoring. But that's what he is saying here. Now I close with this. Repentance and faith. As an unbeliever, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, I've said things this morning that you may have just thought either that confirms it, these people are nuts, or you have thought, I've never heard anything like this. It makes sense. I hope it's the latter. And I would just invite you, maybe as has happened before, through the window of marriage, the ways and the wisdom of God are now starting to open up in your mind and you think, I'd like to investigate what Christianity's about then we would invite you to talk. And by God's grace, that will lead to repentance and faith and belief in Christ and salvation. And you can get on the road and be a sojourner with us. As a husband or a wife, maybe, there's been some exposure this morning. That's okay. There's grace. So repent. It's a great word. Embrace it. Repent. Turn back. Say, I'm sorry. Ask God to help you. Change. It's beautiful. As a Christian in general, have you questioned the wisdom and the ways of God? Have you questioned God's word as the authority for your sojourning life in this world? There's grace. Repent and believe. There's grace. He'll, he'll say, okay, okay. Now let's get back on the right track. He redirects, he reorients. God loves us. He loves you. And I could write over everything we just said, the word that I haven't used yet until now. Love. The Lord gave us these instructions because he loves us. Because this reflects his love. 
Because this is how love resides among us.